1: This is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, August 29th. The Cubs and White Sox finishing up their series at Guaranteed Rate Park or Guaranteed Rate Field. Honestly, I don't do Whatever I it is, don't know I don't even
0: know. I know.
1: The White Sox winning this series as they did the first one. The Cubs do steal one in the middle here. But Brendan, as I said on the last episode, I know how important it is to you, but the Cubs are not (laughs) bringing home the Crosstown Cup or trophy.
0: Uh, That's the biggest
1: disappointment of the year, Corey. I really wanted that Crosstown Cup. Maybe next year. Do you care about the games against the white Sox at all i mean you don't you don't currently live in chicago so i assume maybe less so than you would have earlier in your life but but how do you earlier feel about in
0: my it life generally? i did I, i'm not gonna lie earlier in my life i absolutely did i had friends that were white Sox fans so i got a lot of smack talk to me when they when they would lose those games so nowadays i don't really care to be quite honest with you um so no i i, I do not care about the white Sox, Corey.
1: Yeah, generally, I that is my attitude. When I was in high school, it was worse, just because you oh, know was going to, That was the worst. Yeah, you're going to school every day yeah. with White Sox fans and stuff like that. And I was at least a freshman in high school when they won the World Series, so that was not super pleasant. That was brutal. But now, like especially. Uh, you know, I mean, they've made some trades with one another, but otherwise, they just don't really affect one another. So, I...
0: and I feel bad for the White Sox, like I, I, I really do. Like, imagine being a White Sox fan in this city. You have Wrigley Field, you have the club's culture, and that you're like, well, I think you, at the you're, moment, you're that they don't care. Yeah, I mean, like I'm just saying in general, like you're like you're you're an afterthought. Like no one remembers who you are. So in that sense, I don't really care who they are because no one else cares who they are.
1: I suppose but like I said at the moment I think they're fine with whatever status they have because their baseball team is better whatever <laughs> I, I, I guess um so the this weekend went about as expected I guess Saturday was a nice little present surprise but the Cubs do blow a six to nothing lead they go up six to nothing in the first inning on Friday and that promptly went away with a, an eight run third inning from the White Sox against uh Keegan Thompson and Adrian Sampson. And Brennan, I like I, I that was one of those games where especially just where things are and also probably because we saw a similar recipe to this in Milwaukee with Jake Arrieta. But mm-hmm. I was out to dinner on Friday night, I sat down and it was six to nothing. And I was, you know, with some people who are, you know, pay attention to to baseball. And we were talking about it it was like, yeah, like, give it time like, hold on, like, let, let's, cause you know, they were like, oh wow, six to nothing. I was expecting the White Sox to it's over. kill them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were all just like, yeah, ho- hold on, you know, like, and it did, I, it, it took less time than I thought it would for that game to end up, uh, almost a route the other way. The Cubs had on seven runs themselves between the seventh, eighth and ninth inning, three spots in each, the eighth and the ninth. So some pretty solid work from the offense in these first two games of this series, because the Cubs follow that up on Saturday with a 7 to nothing win behind Alec Mills, who we will talk uh, a decent bit about here in this podcast, and then another clunker on Sunday, losing 13-1. to Another not-so-great outing from Kyle Hendricks, so we'll talk about that as well. We will talk about some of the stuff we saw on offense. We have a new friend in the fold, Alfonso Rivas, who if you Mm -hmm. remember, I think earlier in the year when I was mentioning Hermosillo doing what he was doing in the minors, Rivas was another name that you kind of expected as well to get a shot at some point. So he is up. He got in there and got his first couple hits as a big leaguer on Sunday. So we'll talk a little bit about him. Um, but Brendan, I, I think the first place that I wanna go is one of the more pressing issues in all of, you know, the, the Cubs world. Uh, where do you land are you pro or anti uh Patrick Wisdom's mustache? I am very much pro. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I at first I was not, I'm not gonna lie, but like I grew into it. Once you get four home runs, I'm
1: like, all right, it kinda of, kinda of works with that entire vibe, yes. Yeah, well, I didn't need to see the home runs. I was I was on board right so away. Right away, right away. Right away, okay. and he was doing that celebration in the dugout, but mm. yeah, so needless to say, the official stance of the Cubs related podcast is pro Patrick Mustache. So Very much. Glad that we got that out of the way. I know we were going to have a lot of people um banging on our door for a statement or an answer on that. But well, there it is. I we might as well start with Patrick Wisdom because obviously he has a big weekend. He hits four home runs over the weekend and you know again he's he's not all of them but he's had several in the last week plus that are just absolutely mammoth shots and one of these against the White Sox was certainly that. Doesn't have a great day on Sunday going 0 for 3 with just a walk and struck out three times. We know that K rate is going to be something to monitor Uh, but on Saturday two for four with two home runs. Friday 2 for 4, two home runs, also took a walk on Friday as well. So, a really productive weekend for Wisdom even with a down game on Sunday. And we've talked about him a good bit, certainly you know, this whole season and even recently, but just to to set the table, he's got a 256 average with a 320 on base, 579 slugging, good for a 376 woba. And a 136 WRC plus, he is a leading candidate to uh, be the rookie of the year. You know he'll have the Cubs uh, rookie home run record. He is doing all of this, having come up. You know, not even at the beginning of the season, right? I mean, he's only played in 82 games. Like this is all he's. He's been worth two and a half wins above replacement in half a season, basically. He turned 30 this weekend, so that also adds to the story. But where I'm going with this, Brendan, is we've talked a, a lot of these guys about what is their role for next year and what can these last few months or whatever inform us as to what their role might be. Wisdom we've obviously had a longer time with. We've been watching him for you know more than we have for, say, guys like Ortega or Jamarcio, et cetera, right? But the question I want to, and I get the, the premise here is, I feel like Patrick Wisdom is your starting third baseman next year. And mm-hmm. there were points when he was doing this where it was like, okay, lo, well, they, they, they found something, he's got some pop, you know, maybe he can factor into the plans, uh, whatever. And the K rate, you got to monitor he's 30, so you know, is this who he is now? Are there more adjustments to be had? Et cetera, et cetera. All very good questions, but with the way that he's played, the uncertainty of the collective bargaining agreement, the uncertainty of what the Cubs are going to be spending in the offseason, things like that, and the way that he has played i I'm not really sure there's another answer. You've been looking for cheaper alternatives at some of these positions, right? And for guys to break out and and do and he has done he's done that and more. So mm. that that would be my position. I would say he has earned going into the season if it's not at third base, you know, he's played other positions. so this this could be amenable. but i I don't see how you aren't viewing him as someone who has earned a starting spot right
0: now the season were to end i i would be right there with you and it's very it's very likely by the end of the season i will still be there i just keep the possibility open that in september he will have to go through another adjustment phase but i'm confident that he's able to handle these adjustment phases so i am i'm right there with you i think if he ends the year with around 30 home runs which he's likely to do you have almost no choice but to consider a major role for him in 2022 like how do you how do you not reward someone with an opportunity like what is a signal to other guys who are looking for roles for that was kind of the way
1: i i meant to phrase it was like he's he's kind of left you with no choice he's played that well
0: Right. And it's not to say, oh, like Patrick Wisdom, let's let's peg him down as a major contributor, like a four or five six hitter, maybe maybe a sure. six hitter. But he's first off, he's not even near arbitration, right? He's a rookie. So we have him under team control for half a decade at a cheap rate. So that alone is significant if you want to spend money elsewhere, like in that outfield, for example. And it would be a different conversation for me with Wisdom if his defense was not good. But his UZR per 150 is like in the upper 75th percentile and is outs above average by baseball savants in the 85th percentile. So separate from his offense, which is clearly trending upwards, at the very minimum he has a defensive aptitude that should play well at their major league level so right now he has two, almost two and a half war by fangraphs and zips projects projects him to be about league average the rest of the year if you kind of apply that to 2022 what else are you looking for from a position right. and this this is not to say that you can't go out and improve dramatically elsewhere now if, if Patrick wisdoms going to be the main guy going into 2022 in 2022 and like a cleanup spot then of course that's a risky proposition right. yes right but at the, at the at the current moment man like I, I don't see absent of a dramatic change in September you can't seriously consider wisdom as an, an everyday starter right like that's just yeah. kind of where it is right now
1: when i and i think that's that's a good point that you make about like when i when i say you know my stance on that and and following up on yours the the idea this whole time like since they traded players off and, and really even before that was to give these guys opportunities and see what you had right and the idea with doing that is exactly what you're saying, Brendan, not to say, oh, Patrick Wisdom is going to hit 30 home runs. We found our cleanup hitter. We don't need to spend any money, right? It's the opposite. It's we found Patrick Wisdom. He's hitting 30 home runs. Now we can go spend money elsewhere. Right. And 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 he's not the centerpiece. You found a cheap option to field at one of these positions, The right? cheapest option. Right. Like, so so not the check cheap it option. off. Yeah. If it, let's say it's third base, right? You've got him at third base. You're going to have Wilson at catcher. You're going to have Madrigal somewhere. You're going to have Nico somewhere. You know, Older we talked about that right there. recently. Yeah. We're, you know, that role is kind of undetermined. We're waiting on that injury, et cetera, et cetera. But he's going to play somewhere and get a significant amount of time, right? So you have these guys, okay, so check, check, check. Now go spend right. whatever money you have, Jed Hoyer, from Tom Ricketts, right? Hopefully it's a lot on those other positions and go get really good players. So like you said, Brendan, Patrick Wisdom is hitting fifth or sixth or whatever, right? Deeper in the lineup. That's that's the whole point of this. And I, it's, and just to add on to what you said as well, Jordan Bastian of MLB.com tweeted this out earlier. Wisdom ranks sixth in the MLB in outs above average per stat cast of all third basemen. Like He's a really good defender. He's got a great arm. You saw a few plays. He turned a nice double play. He made a couple diving, like sliding, stops, and and gets up and makes the throws. Like, he is a good defender. And so you combine it all together. Like, of course, right, the guy's got a 40% K rate almost. Like, obviously, there is some risk here. And again, you shouldn't be going in looking like, oh yeah, here's our savior, right? He's the next Chris Bryant. Just peg him into the two or three spot for the next, you know, like no, right? Like pumping the brakes on that type of thing. But the whole idea here for a lot of these guys has been, let's give them everyday time, let them work through things, let them make these adjustments and see what you have. And I think you you nailed it, Brendan. Like what else would you want him to do to say, yes, let's give this guy a starting spot and we will allocate whatever resources we have elsewhere because this is something we're going to keep trying.
0: Yeah, well, I think too, you have to be open to the possibility that maybe what we're seeing now is not sustainable. And that's a fair question. I think that should give a lot of fans... I mean, not should, but I'm sure it does give a lot of fans concern that what we're seeing now is going to be replicated in 2022. We've seen for years now with Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber and in the on and off tricks with many of these other guys that we've been somewhat tricked is not the right word, but we've been prone to maybe expecting more than ultimately what we saw. And with wisdom, Of course, that's a possibility. But given what we've seen so far this year, he's shown the ability to adapt. I keep bringing this up, but I do think it's worth mentioning. He has positive run value or about league average run value against every single pitch type, sliders, changeups, sinkers, four seamers, all of them. So that right there is, for me, a, a, a point of evidence that He's not just a one-trick pony, that he can go out there and, within at-bats, adapt to the type of context. And we kind of saw that during his second homebrew game in the White Sox series. He hit and blasted out a, a low and away breaking pitch to change up. And then the very next at-bat, Corey, he blasts a Lancelin, lower inside, 93-mile-per-hour sinker and it completely obliterates it the complete type of opposite pitch right? right so 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 to me when we look at rookies coming up and even Revas we'll get into like Revas has not had that opportunity to showcase that and Revas is like 6 years younger than than Wisdom and this is a this is another concept that I'm not sure I totally buy into. But I understand where it comes from. Wisdom's thirty years old. he's he's older than Chris Bryant., uh, so I understand the concern that he's kind of blossoming as an older player. and typically you don't see that. and because you don't see that, you don't know if this is real or not. But at the same time, this has happened in years past. Justin Turner made a career starting at this age point. Jose Bautista came out of nowhere starting at this age point. Edwin Encarnacion really flourished in his early 30s. Sometimes it just clicks for certain individuals. And regardless of age, if you throw the age out of the equation and you look at the underlying peripherals, you come away with the following. One, wisdom hits every single pitch type. Two, his contact rate ever since being called up has has been basically stable. And is in fact improved over the last 100 plate appearances to around 65 plus percent. And the third trade is he plays plus defense, right? So if you're going to try to project his aging profile, I don't really think you can do so because typically when guys debut around their early 20s, they start to decline right now. But wisdom's different he's blossoming right now so what's your reference what are you comparing wisdom to there is no one so you can't confidently project that this is going to be a, an immediate decline from him so so that's that's how that's how i'm thinking about this and going into the offseason Corey. just like you have no choice if right. this guy's going to hit 30 home runs you have no choice you
1: have to see where this goes On the postgame show today, I know we weren't necessarily big fans of his presence as uh, the third man during the games, but Rick Sutcliffe also made the point that you were talking about, uh, just mentioning like Whit Merrifield being another guy who didn't really get going until he was Mm. 28 years old. And we just went through a couple off seasons of, you know, rumors of whether or not the Cubs were going to trade for him and stuff like that. And, you know, you just look at, like, obviously Keuchel struggled. Kimbrel has not been as good out of the closer role for the White Sox, which is very funny uh, and good on <laughs> I Jed. I love that. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, you look at, like, so Wisdom hit four home runs this weekend. One was off Keuchel, one was off Kimbrel, and two were off Lance Lynn, who's a leading candidate to be the Cy Young in the American League. Like, that's not a bad resume of four pitchers to have taken deep in a single weekend. So, it's impressive. And I and I think, you know, just to to conclude on wisdom, it's it's all about keeping perspective, right? And I and I think Brendan and I have made that clear, right? Like you don't have to think you've unearthed an MVP or, you know, anything like that, but just keeping things in perspective like you you found a, a potential answer at least in the interim on the cheap and you can Sort of check off a box as Jed Hoyer goes to his off-season checklist with whatever budget he has. So that's a good thing. That's the whole point of this. And you're hoping that some of these other guys they're not going to have as long to show it as Wisdom has. You know, since he's been up for uh, longer than most of these guys. But you're hoping that some of these other guys continue to do the same type of thing. And you have to ask yourself these same questions. You know, and and we've seen Schwindel continue to hit hit a homer on Sunday. Uh, Rafael Ortega with a big grand slam off of Lance Lynn in the game on mm-hmm. Saturday he continues to do really well uh, against right-handed pitching so someone to keep in mind for a potential platoon spot in 22 Michael Hermosillo hit a homer this weekend had some really nice defensive plays one of those catches in center was uh, really really spectacular yeah, man. I love and that um, you know you also saw again Alfonso Rivas getting up there only one game of course but he does collect his first MLB hit which was a single on the first pitch he ever saw in the major leagues and then a double in his next at bat and then also roped one that Luis Robert ran down in center field that you know really was a well-struck ball and a nice play by, a, you know, a good defender in Robert. So uh, a, a very nice debut for Rivas. So you hope to continue seeing these guys getting their opportunities and and just making things interesting, I guess, for um, Jed Hoyer and the Cubs front office as we go forward here. Um, I, I do just want to touch on, because we mentioned Kimbrell, right? Like, yeah. I, I, <laughs> so whatever, I, I, I was... A fan of the trade, I like Nick Madrigal and I like Cody Hoyer, and I I liked the the general logic, etc. I know at the time, you know, it was somewhat polarizing. Some people wanted other stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I just like I don't I, I I don't want to attribute all of it to the fact that he's not the closer. I do think it's kind of weird that the White Sox didn't do that. I know Hendricks is there, but like Kimbrell seems like one of those guys where like he needs to be the closer, whether that makes sense. Or not, it's just like a mental block type deal. But I, the the one thing I just wanted to say was, can you imagine how much like over that last week, especially because Ross kept using him, right? How much Jed Hoyer was sweating, Kimbrel looking like this <laughs> right. in that last week? Because remember, like we saw this version of Kimbrel the majority of the time he was a cub. He was great at the end of twenty twenty and great in this first half for the Cubs. But we saw this in 2019. And then again, at the beginning of 2020, different, you know, different struggles, right? He's He's been giving up a lot of home runs. And um, he did that in, in 2019, for sure. And then 2020, it was, uh, you know, the command was really horrible, couldn't command the breaking ball, etc. But I was just thinking about like watching it because it happened almost immediately when he joined the White Sox, right, that he struggled. And you're just, I couldn't imagine how much Jed Hoyer was sweating those last few outings, knowing like somehow we've ended up in a place where he's one of the most valuable trade chips on the whole market after his time in Chicago. And just please let me get this trade done <laughs> yeah. before he looks like this. Well, we were talking about it. It's like, why is David Ross
0: throwing Craig Campbell here? Just like hide him away until the trade deadline. And I i, I like I like Kimbrough, and, and I don't want to say I'm rooting for these guys to fail. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but it does give me a weird sense of satisfaction that this is happening. The only reason I say that is because we've been hurt in, in years past by trading for relievers. Like the, the one that stands out for me is that Justin Wilson trade when we traded Imer Condelario and Isaac Paredes. So it's kind of funny to be on the other side of it. But it also goes to show that when you trade a reliever like Kimbrel, who has been volatile, and you get back projectable value in Nick Madrigal, plus then with Cody Horrier, like that—that that is the types of deals that you want your front office to make. And I know Magical is not going to be that like top tier power guy or maybe that top tier offensive guy, but you can very confidently project Magical to be a contributor for the next six years. The single greatest stabilizing metric is contact rate. Contact rate predicts your degree of value better than any other metric. So the fact that we have the guy who's in the top percentile of contact lets us know that going forward, if he does not succeed, he's the outlier. So you can confidently project that he's going to be at least somewhat valuable in in the future. And you were able to get that from Craig Kimbrell. And immediately he starts showcasing many of the same struggles we saw in, in, in the years past. And that's just basically the home run rate. So with the White Sox, his home run per fly ball rate is almost thirty percent. With the Cubs it was three percent. We're talking about a ten times greater difference. But that's not surprising given what we saw in years past, and that's the volatility of these relievers. So it it is it is important to just like trace back to these trades. Sure. And especially in this context with Madrigal because you're right, Corey. It, was, it actually was polarizing. You go on Twitter, and people were not thrilled with getting back a heavy contact guy in magical. But again, my thinking is, if I'm going to trade the premier trade candidate on the market, I need, with a high degree of certainty, I'm getting back value. And the one guy who makes the most sense from a projectability standpoint is the guy with the heavy contact rate, and that was magical. So it's—it it is a nice reminder.
1: Yeah, well, and the, and the, and this is why I was panicking during those games because I, oh, I you just you didn't want it to look to. like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. again, like, you know, you also have Cody Hoyer who's got a 1.3-ish ERA in his time with the Cubs. He's good, man. I like that. Guy. And I think, you know, Kimbrell's ERA when he left was, like, 0. 0.7 with the Cubs, and I think it's 20 against the Cubs this year, <laughs> uh, courtesy of, like, Andrew Romine and some of these other guys. So... Yeah, sometimes baseball is weird, y'all. It's uh, an it's interesting sport. It's an interesting sport. And it's, I, dumb, I, it's yeah. all just to say, I think Jed Hoyer breathed a, a real sigh of relief when he got off the phone with Rick Hahn and that trade was done. And it was like, okay, we did it. We pulled it off. Craig can go do whatever he wants, right? I forget, um, did you like that trade? Like your initial reaction? Like when I when I yeah. saw that trade get through
0: Twitter and I see yeah. Nick Magical, I, I texted him like, wow, this is a great trade. But I, I don't recall what you
1: thought. No, I I thought the exact same thing because, Uh you know, we'd had a few trades already and, you know, even going back to Darvish, like of getting such young, hard-to-project type guys. And so when I saw Madrigal, I was like, oh, like that's a starting player. Like the White Sox were starting him until he got hurt. So cool. That's fine by me. Um, It helps that I'm not like super knowledgeable on like, you know, everybody else's prospect system. So I think for (laughs) other people, it's easy to want specific guys and and maybe understand the the valuations more. But for me, like, I I knew Hoyer had, you know, pretty good stuff and and could be a contributor relief-wise. And I was like, yeah, no, I know, you know, I know who Madrigal is. So um, this is a win for you. Yeah, it's it's all good. But I want to um, transition to someone else who had a big weekend and who we haven't talked about that much. Um, But that's Alec Mills. And Alec Mills, and and I, I want to highlight his performance, and when I do that, I want to remind you that the White Sox scored 30 runs on Friday and Sunday combined, 17 on Friday, 13 on Sunday against the Cubs pitching staff, against Alec Mills in eight and a third innings on Saturday and Cody Hoyer in two thirds. They scored none. Eight and a third, four hits, no earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts from Alec Mills, bringing his season numbers, uh, an ERA of 4.32 and a FIP of 3.95, so that FIP even better than the ERA is. He's been worth uh, 1.3 wins above replacement in just about 90 innings, 89 and two-thirds um and he has only made 14 starts so the 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 takeaway for me is you know we again we're always kind of focused towards 2022 and i think that mills is pitching himself into uh, I, I it's hard to say a rotation spot cuz i don't know what this is going to look like etc but i think he's someone you have to look at as a, a back end of the rotation guy. And I think it's especially easy to do that when you look at how the Cubs went into this season, right? He was an option for that. And they opt to, you know, bring in Trevor Williams, Jake Arrieta, and they get Zach Davies in the trade. Like, Alec Mills has been the best of all of those guys, right? Yeah. And so I don't think you're going to envision him ever being, you know, he's he's not going to be a top of the rotation guy, he's not going to put up gaudy numbers, he's not going to win a Cy Young or anything crazy like that, but I think he's showing himself to be a guy that you can count on at the back end of the rotation to pitch games that keep the team in it and give them a chance to win, right? He's going to deliver games like we saw on Saturday where he dominates a really good lineup. He's got He's changing speeds. He's changing eye levels. He's getting that weak contact, right, that the defense can suck up and turn into outs. And we saw that, you know, of course, when he threw a no-hitter against the Brewers, he's going to deliver those outings. He's going to have some clunkers, right? He just, he was coming off of a bad outing prior to this one against the White Sox. So you're going to have those, but generally going to keep you in the game. And like, I, I think he's just done enough as we've seen it, to warrant being in that conversation,
0: I don't think we've given fair justification for how well Alec Mills has performed. And I, I say that like personally, I, I always thought Alec Mills had a role with his team as like a swing starter, and m- maybe that was the wrong way of looking at this. Like I can't help but imagine. If Alec Mills was given more of a prominent role out of opening day compared to going with Jake Arrieta, for example, who who was a misfire given his physical limitations and his inability to throw crossfire. But the the way that Mills is succeeding this year is a development from previous years. If we look at how he pitched right when he came came over with the Cubs, he was principally a four-seam first pitcher. And he threw four seams, you know, about 40% of the time when he came over to the Cubs. He only threw sinkers about 25% of the time, once every four pitches. And then as the years have progressed, especially last year when he threw his no-hitter and then this year kind of peaking, he essentially... Flipped his sinker and four seam usage. How many times have we talked about this? Like, we need, I need to figure out why all these guys are doing this, but it's clearly working. But Mills is no longer a four seam first guy, he's a sinker first guy. He throws a sinker 50% of the time. He doubled his sinker usage in a span of two baseball seasons. And now his four seam is only being used 16% of the time. Which is almost identical to his changeup usage. Now, if you look at where he throws these changeups and these fastballs, his forcing seam his forcing fastball, is exclusively thrown up and in to right-handed batters. I mean, if you look at the zone heat map, there is a bright bullseye in on the wrist of right-handed hitters, and then his changeup to complement the bullseye is in the complete opposite part of the zone. So it starts off probably looking like a four seamer and it just dips down and in, right? And he's getting better pitch quality metrics based off that changeup. But it's also coming off of that sinker. His sinker is being used also in on the hands of all these batters it's not being thrown in your trademark lower fashion like Arietta did so for many years and all these like trademark sinker ballers like Tim Hudson from the years past no his sinker is also being elevated that's what the Cubs do they elevate their sinker pitch even despite not having success they try to do the same thing with Zach Davies so I'm sitting here looking at Alec Mills, and he has five pitches, a sinker, a four-seamer, a changeup, a slider, and a curveball. All five of those pitches are thrown greater than 10% of the time. And we've seen in years past two pitch starting pitchers that did not work out. Jose Quintana is an example. Uh, we'll get into him, but Keegan Thompson might need more than two pitches. Um Mills is a five pitch guy and he uses each one of those pitches very, very frequently. And he's doing so this year by switching up his sequencing, his repertoire, by, by, by flipping his sinker and his four seam and getting better success off of his changeup. And that's all totaling to a FIP under four, about 3.9. And that's going to be like your back end starter next year. that's what you sign up for. That's like what you try to get out of in years past of a Jason Hamill type figure. That's what you tried and prayed to get from Dan Heron late in those competitive seasons. And so if Mills is going to be your fifth guy and in competitive windows, your fifth guy was Dan Heron, then you know what, Corey? That's a pretty good situation the Cubs have. And that should not preclude them from going out and getting better starting pitchers. But at the same time, we have a, cost controllable controllable sub four fip guy with five pitches who's thrown a no hitter that you don't see that very often
1: yeah and i i think you know we had this conversation kind of coming into 2021 but they're not all the same conversation but you mentioned kind of the idea of you know when guys earn something and wanting to reward it whatever and i mean i you know I think Mills is doing that right like i yeah. think he's showing you the work over these last few years that he's been getting these opportunities like he's he's kind of earned uh a little bit more of a shot here and and I think yeah if you if you set it up that way where he's one of those back end guys um, I, it's, it's funny that you said that. Cause this is one of those moments where Brennan and I don't always plan what we were going to talk about, but I, I had written down <laughs> you, like the Cubs were in competitive windows, starting Dan Heron. Right. So <laughs> like really if <laughs> Alec Mills is a back end, uh, is a, is a back end guy, like that's fine. He's, he's yeah. been, he's been good. He, he like a, a three, nine fit. Like that's what he's giving you. I mean, you'll take that all day. No doubt. So Yeah. Uh on a different note, talk to me about Keegan Thompson though. This Sorry. was not a good second start. Second start in this, uh, you know, stretch out, not his second ever MLB start. Um again, <laughs> tough offense, but you know, you're contrasting that against how Mills did, I suppose. Um two innings, five hits, five runs, four of them earned, two walks and a strikeout. Sampson does come in and give up uh, a home run so that leads to some of those other runs that were leftover base runners. Um generally I, I'm sure you'll have more on it. And this is only the the second outing in this this attempt to be stretched out and, and get a look here. Uh but this is two starts now that we've seen from him, that first one coming against the Royals, where the walk total has been two and the strikeout total has been one. So yeah. we saw from Justin Steele that the 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 strikeouts weren't there in that first outing against Milwaukee changed things up and that number started to come in the following starts right still has some stuff to iron out himself but you did see that adjustment to get more whiffs put guys away right you're not you haven't seen that yet from Thompson and of course this outing gets off the rails he can't even you know go more than two innings So that's what jumps out to me, and it was talked about on the broadcast by the guys, like just an inability to put guys away, and especially against a White Sox lineup, when you're not able to do that, things are leaking over the plate, you have to come back more over the plate just to elicit swings not the type of lineup you want to be doing that against, and the results proved that. So did you see anything different? What do, you, what do you think about this? And you don't have to always relate it to Justin Steele, but I suppose since we're kind of looking at them through a, a similar lens, what do you think about kind of their progress here so far? When Thompson was called up, he showcased a
0: cutter out of the bullpen that we've never seen. And that cutter has 200% more movement than your average cutter so back in what was it april and may wherever it was that signaled to me keegan thompson is not your same keegan thompson as he was in 2019 this is this is a new type of pitcher who's clearly developed at the same time even out of the bullpen he had command issues his walk per nine was plus four and i was concerned that as a starter that would be a problem and that he may need more than your four seam, your cutter, and your curveball. So out of the rotation, especially against the White Sox, we saw how that's a deterrent, not having more than you know two pitches, essentially, because he threw almost exclusively four seams and cutters. And unless you're Lance Lynn, who you can pinpoint those pitches with high effectiveness, you have very little margin of error. And with Keegan Thompson, his his command is not quite there yet. If you look at his four-seam zone heat map, the dead center portion of the plate is the brightest red. That means he's throwing most of his four-seams towards the heart of the plate. He's not commanding his four-seam. His cutter's a little bit of a different scenario, still not being commanded appropriately, but he doesn't have the degree of negative run value with his cutter in the middle heart portion of the plate. For fastballs, he's getting blitzed off those pitches, and we saw it against the White Sox. That's my concern. The fastball command, the command in general, and then when you couple that with, at this time, only three pitches: that curveball, cutter, and fastball. He has tried to throw changeups in his uh, in his first start and during his rehab starts, but it's not quite there yet. And we're entering September. And the way I look at it is, I'm trying with my best ability to project what the rotation can look like for 2022. And Keegan maybe has, what, four or five starts left? Unless he blows everyone out of the water with with his stuff, I don't see how you can confidently give Keegan Thompson a starting chance for 2022. Now, that being said, I'm still very much interested in his development and I keep that possibility open. Like, I, I really do like his stuff. I think that Cutter is a complete highlight and that should pique everyone's interest but there's a difference between being excited and optimistic that a guy can develop versus being confident that he's already there and right now i don't think he's quite there yet and i think unless again unless he completely changes the script here in september you can't give him a spot you can't confidently give him a spot and even for justin Steele, that might be the same discussion but he's just going to continue to have to develop and work with Hadavy and Breslow. And maybe during 2022, in some instances, either out of the, like a swing spot from the bullpen, he'll get those chances. But it's going to take a lot for, I think, a lot of fans and the coaching staff to, to be confident that they know what they have in Keegan Thompson.
1: Yeah. And we we noted like when this started, you know, it was always a fine outcome, really, if you decided that one or both of those two was just better suited for a relief role, be it, you know, one inning or longer, as we've seen both of them be utilized so far this year. That's okay. You needed people to take the innings, and it was... you know, a worthwhile experiment, and it remains a worthwhile experiment to stretch them out and and see what you can do. Um, But, you know, we saw both of them had some success in relief roles, and if that's ultimately where they're best suited, that's okay. I think for me, just generally not necessarily digging into uh, some of the deeper pitching analytics like you do, it's easier to see with Steele, right, just because he's left-handed, he's throwing harder, it just jumps off the screen a little more. Um, and like I said, you know, he's he's shown the ability in this short sample, not that Thompson won't, but to change things in order to get whiffs and put guys away, right, which you need to do at some point, especially when you're facing uh, deep lineups like we saw against the White Sox. So for me, you know, it's three starts for Steele, two starts for Thompson, right? So like this is a horribly small sample. But so far, I, I, I think it's just easier to see if you were going to say, okay, you know, let's give one of these guys a try in the rotation. It's just easier to see that being steel. But it, it's very early in this process, and I'm not really sure it's fair to – Thompson or really either of them to you know make any sweeping conclusions so far we've got a month left of these starts and you know there's Mm -hmm. going to be a lot of work put in by both of these guys so hopefully you continue to see adjustments results and you can kind of go from there but I don't think you even peg Steele
0: as a Sherlock guy for next year out of their rotation and that's not not at the moment yeah right right so I I mean mean, unless
1: they're really convicted that this is something that's going to happen right
0: yeah, I mean, I don't think they are. I don't think unless... For for Steele, I feel as if he's closer to that threshold. But again, even in the next four to five stars, I wonder if they know for sure. I don't think... All this is to say, I don't think it stops the Cubs from spending and starting pitching free agents this offseason. Like, I think they'll keep the opportunity open, whether that's competing with even like Alec Mills, even though we just hyped him up. I still think the possibility will be there, but if they think they can compete for 2022 with a type of budget that I feel as if they're going to go out and spend and kind of figure out the rest with Steele and Thompson and Mills. But but we're going to see them regardless in 2022. I just don't think it's going to be at this point a sure luck. Okay, Steele, you are our number four starter and we're going to fill, fill in the rest of the rotation with free agents. I don't think it's quite there yet.
1: Want to talk a little, I, I said that we would, so want to talk a little bit uh, more in depth about Alfonso Rivas, who we saw on Sunday. Um, again had mentioned him loosely before just because he along with Hermosillo were kind of lighting it up at times in AAA so it just sort of made sense once guys started getting moved that you'd probably see those guys those two were also guys when the Cubs were more competitive and we were yelling about certain people that were um, getting playing time that it would have been better to see them but we're not going to get into that today or hopefully ever again but Rivas is is a guy who um, pretty con- well, you know, he's got a few years in the minors, so I don't want to say pretty consistently, but during that time, um, you can count on him to be an OBP guy, right? So in 2018, a 397 on base at uh, short season A ball. In 2019, at a couple levels, uh, overall a 387 on base, and then in about 200 or so at bats for Iowa at AAA this year, a 405 OBP. Hits for average, 285, 292, 284 in those years uh, that I just mentioned, respectively. The thing with him as a first baseman is that he doesn't have the pop that you would necessarily expect out of a first baseman. So his OPS for those years, 2018-780, 2019-810, 2021-816. So the overall offensive profile, when you look at the slash line, is good. Not necessarily for a first baseman, though, at least relative to certain people that we've become accustomed to in the city of Chicago, right? <laughs> um, so curious, Brendan, he, he had a really nice game on Sunday when you look, uh, I, we always mention this this sort of rotating group of of prospect guys, right? The growing Cubs guys, Jimmy and Greg, Greg from Ivy Futures, Brian from Bleacher Nation. They all love it right? They were all thrilled that he was getting this opportunity. They all play up the hit tool. They were all really jazzed that he was coming up. So just curious what you think from a guy who, you know, clearly he's gone through the different levels and he's able to hit. And he said after the game today, after collecting a couple hits, you know, specifically swinging at the first pitch he sees in his first major league plate appearance, driving it up the middle for a base hit, Um, against a guy in Cease, you know, who has good stuff, right? And he said, you know, that's kind of who I am. I'm always locked in, and I'm, you know, more of a hitter than, you know, trying to blast home runs, right? I'm focused on being a hitter, being ready, and making good contact, right? But it's not the traditional power numbers you would expect from a first baseman. So, any thoughts on him coming up, getting the opportunity? And I don't know if you want to tie it in to someone like Schwindel, right? We don't know if the, the, the NL is going to have a DH position, but Schwindel has been playing first base, um, you know, and I, I don't, you know, he's not necessarily a big power guy, but he's already got six home runs in the 113 yeah. at-bats uh, that he has with the Cubs, and I think has more of that potential power than Rivas does so what do you think about all of this what do you think about Rivas in general I rambled you ramble now I my confidence
0: in Rivas is uh quite variable like I I don't I don't know what to expect with him I look at his numbers and you can't help but be a little impressed I mean his walk rate in AAA this year in 240 plate appearances was That's exceptional. His strikeout rate was only 20.7%. And then he had a weight on base average of 372 and AAA. So, of course, that type of profile, low strikeouts, high walks, that's what the Cubs have sought for years, for the last three years, even dating back to when they signed Zobris and even dating back further when they signed Jason Hayward. So, they've been trying to get guys with this type of profile. And that's been signified by drafting Nico Horner, by trading Kimbrell for Madrigal. So you see what they're trying to do. Now, that being said, I have a hard time kind of parsing out overall run value with the way they actually provide those runs. Like I look at uh, extreme situations like a playoff series, and I wonder, okay, if you have Rivas... Nico and Madrigal in like a five game set. To what degree will their heavy contact rate and lack of power affect the Cubs? Now, over the grand sum of a 162 game season, I would imagine that has little effect. Like, if you're going to produce a WOBA of plus 350, like, I don't care how you do it. If you're going to do it off of, you know, walks and base hits, like a Joey Votto style back in the day, go for it. That, that's fine. That should even out over the series. But in a small sample, I do wonder if that's going to be okay. And then at the same time with Rivas, you can't help but contrast him to what we've seen with Schwindel. And with Schwindel, he shares the same contact ability that Rivas has. In fact, Schwindel and AAA had a better strikeout rate. The difference between the two is that Rivas will walk, Schwindel might not. He was walking in single digits down with Oakland before he was eventually acquired by the Cubs. Now, Schwindel has more home runs. He had double-digit home runs in plus 200 plate appearances with Oakland, where, of course, with Rivas, only four home runs in a similar sample size. So that's where, for me, I'm trying to figure out do I think Schwindel is a better path forward versus Rivas? And with Rivas, 24 years old, Schwindel, upper 20s, 29, of course, you have to maybe weigh that negatively, but that kind of goes hand in hand with, well, you know what? Well, maybe age is not a factor after all for someone like a Schwindel. This is all to say I don't really know what to think yet. I think I need the month of September to figure out what I like. And if I had to pick right now going into the offseason of who I want to kind of peg as maybe a bench spot guy or at worst case scenario, like a lower end starter, given the assumption they do spend elsewhere, I probably would default to Schwindel. I'll default to the power in the, uh, the heavy contact rather than the power, or rather than the heavy contact and walk rate. But, you know, I'm very open to changing that opinion mm-hmm. as the month of September goes. But that's just kind of where I stand. But it's, this is all to say, it's, it's kind of an interesting problem to have. And it right. does give you more storylines to follow.
1: And at the end of the day, like I could see both end up working for the Cubs. And just for reference it, it was certainly only a handful of games, but uh Rivas did get out there in the outfield a little bit um mm. throughout his time in the minors and this year at Triple A playing I think nine games in left and one game in right. So, you know, they've at least toyed with the idea of trying him elsewhere. I don't know how he fared out there, but just worth noting. I, you know, more than anything, I think it's, it's kind of how you ended that. I think the, the best place to be would be a, a good problem to have in deciding if some of these guys are worth giving a role to, whether that is a bench spot, a starting spot in certain places, whatever, right? If you end up in a spot where you're deciding because Rivas and Schwindel are so good for the rest of this season, great, right? you figure that out later, right? It doesn't matter like how you're doing that. We still have to see how the CBA comes out. Is there a DH? What happens with all that? What are they thinking for Nico? Who knows, right? Like There's a lot of questions to answer. Let's start with the problem being that the Cubs have too many players they like, right, that have performed and done what they needed to do. And you can deal with the positioning of it, their role, where you're spending money, this and that like when that time comes. But for now, it it it's it is interesting cuz Schwindel has continued to hit in in the time that he's been up here and he's uh, you know w- more like wisdom in that he's you know potentially a late bloomer, right? But I'm very I'm I'm very much looking forward to through the course of September now as we're about to turn the calendar here in a couple days to seeing guys like Hermosillo and Rivas get more time. Uh, Rivas, I believe, turns 25 in a couple weeks, and Hermosillo is 26. So I'm looking forward to seeing these guys just get a shot, right? And for Hermosillo's been up before, even though it wasn't a lot of time, you know, scattered across a few seasons. But this is, you know, Rivas's debut, and he's 24 years old. He's hit Uh, pretty consistently in the minors, not with the power, but in in, uh, these other areas. And I'm just looking forward to seeing these guys get a shot. And like I said, if you end up in a spot where you're confused as to how to use them all, that sounds like a wonderful problem uh, to have, that the Cubs have too many good players that they don't know what to do with. I I think that's uh, a pretty optimistic view. I, I would be surprised if it ended up there. I think, you know, usually with stuff like this, you're lucky to have one or two guys shake out, right, and and feel that confident about them. But we've got the time. Like, the, the team is, is not doing well. They have not been doing well for a while. So this is at least uh, more interesting to pay attention to, I think. So I'm looking forward to that um, more than anything, I think, really, going forward yeah. here. So two-game set
0: coming up against the Minnesota Twins. Off day Monday. First game of that two-game set Tuesday. 7.10 p.m. Central start time. Corey, I hate seeing his name in this rotation. Like, I, 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 I despise it. I wish we had someone else. But Zach Davies gets the ball for the Cubs on that Tuesday game. On the year 6-10, a 5-flat ERA. They'll be facing... Former Cardinal John Gantt for the Twins, Gant on the year, 4-8, a 4-flat ERA. And then on Tuesday, to finish off this quick set, we have Justin Steele making his fourth start for the Cubs, Steele on the year, 2-2, two two, a 4.15 ERA. The Twins have not announced a starter for that game. I don't think you care. I don't think you care about checking on Monday or Tuesday who the starter is. Both the Twins and the Cubs suck this year. The Cubs now stand at 57 and 75. The Twins stand at 57 and 73. So both going through the same type of struggles at this point.
1: Well, and uh, that, Brendan, sorry to cut you off, but what does that mean, everybody? That this draft position mess, this series is head-to-head yes. competition, All folks.
0: Right. Well, there you go. So the Cubs more just barely
1: edging out Minnesota here, so yeah well more
0: important than i thought all right so then that wednesday game just to finish off it's a 7 10 p.m central start time what i'm looking for is the cubs to i guess on that no Corey lose but like <laughs> lose with, can you believe we're even doing this well this i point? think
1: to your first point i think zach davies <laughs> has that handled don't worry about that yeah,
0: i hope he does so maybe i do like zach davies at this point but uh lose but do well at the same time as uh if that's even possible uh, I'm looking forward to Justin Steele. I'm going to be monitoring that change-up usage, that curveball usage. Again, like was the case with Thompson, Steele threw mostly two pitches out of the bullpen, a fastball slider. But since coming back out of the rotation, he's shown in sometimes in his first start back heavy sinker usage and then throwing more curveballs and changeups. But ever since that first start back, he's thrown mostly four seamers and sliders as he did out of the bullpen. So I'm curious in this start, what he's going to do. Is he going to go back to the heavy sinker usage or is he going to stay put with that heavy fastball slider usage? Outside of that, you have very important storylines to follow. Revoss at first base, Schwindel at first base, a wisdom continuing to make more contact blasting home runs rafael ortega maybe ironing out a role for himself in 2022 ian happ has been better lately yeah. i don't know what his role is going to be but still monitor that he's going to need a an absolute blistering september to change the minds of a lot of Cubs fans but ultimately for me the primary focus this series is justin Steele.
1: Yeah, I I don't think I have much to add. I think good point there on Hap, uh, who you know with a couple days left, will end up with a, a very nice August. It's um, you know maybe too late, maybe not too late. I don't know that that stands to be. I, I think from a decision standpoint, as we talked about, one of the more Interesting ones for Jed Hoyer and this front office as to what they want to do there, what their conviction is with who Hap is at this point, and it'll be interesting if he can replicate that August that we saw, or do the numbers look more like they did at the beginning of the year. Interesting stuff there. Um, I, it's you know, we're at the end of this podcast here, so I'm not going to offer uh, a sweeping conclusion there, but. I, the the way that he played in August at least sort of started a different discussion I think than where that was headed. Um, we'll see what happens in September though. But he did have a very very good August there for Ian Happ. So I think other than that, that's what we have. It's 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 an odd spot because normally we would never be so like individual performance focused right even when the when the team is good we always break stuff down that way because that's a good way to discuss things and baseball despite being a team game does boil down mostly to individual performances and individual battles between of course the pitcher and the hitter but it has been weird over these last few weeks discussing the players in such a vacuum, right? Like where we barely even touch on what happened in the game, or what the context was, or what the results were. It's just interesting. And I I don't like it, Brendan. (laughs) I I really don't. Like I'm rooting for a lot of these guys. This next month has plenty of storylines to follow along with. Some guys you know, trying to finally break through in their career after toiling away in the minors for so many years. Some guys getting their first opportunity and, you know, can they hit it at the big league level, that type of thing. So it's very exciting. It's, it's fun and it's, it's interesting, but I, I don't like it. I, I, the, the thing that matters most to me is are the Cubs winning and yeah. the, the conversations that you and I have been having for the last couple months just don't <laughs> just don't revolve around that at all and in fact it's easier have- than
0: I thought it was going to be though like I actually thought it would be a lot more difficult maybe I'm just a psychotic
1: human being but I'm I'm watching these games and I'm not killing myself over it
0: Oh I don't know no, what the band aid
1: got ripped off a while ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like I was, you know, I mean, I I was sort of laughing on Friday when they were blowing that lead, you know, kind of like, yeah, duh, right? Yeah. It it doesn't hurt me. The it, contrast Friday to that Brewers game, obviously, the Cubs were hoping that series was going to get them back in contention at the time, and it was kind of that last ditch effort to sort of change the 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 path that they were on at the deadline and all that other stuff. So certainly the stakes were higher, but like that game, I was so miserable watching that game after that game, just absolutely despondent and, you know, similar thing. They go up by a similar amount of runs right away and right away it gets, you know, thrown away. And I, you know, this time I was just like, okay, you know, just cue the circus music, like whatever. I'm numb to this at this point. It's, it's almost funny, but Anyway, um, it's all just to say, I wish we were talking about the Cubs winning. That's what I prefer, but it's interesting enough to be focused on a lot of these things, and and hopefully, you know, it's it's all not for naught, right? Like, we don't know what's going to happen this offseason and and all the moves they're going to make or not make, things like that, and you just hope that all these discussions that we're having about some of these guys really matter in, in terms of how they build this roster, and if they do spend, if they do make this roster better— a lot of this stuff is something we've talked about over the years, which is improving on the margins. And and hopefully these couple months are going to be fruitful in finding guys to do just that so that you're not, you know, relying on the Descalsos and Sogards and Elmoras of the world, right? And you've unearthed, because of all this extended playing time, guys who can fill those roles much more productively. And it, it helps build as Tom and Crane and Jed and the, you know, the company line over at, uh, you know, Clark and Addison, hopefully some of these guys go towards building that next great Cubs team, right? And hopefully that is sooner rather than later, but that all remains to be seen. Anyway, we will talk to you after this brief series with the twins. As always, we thank you guys for supporting and listening to the Cubs related podcasts. We will talk to you soon. And as always go Cubs.